Hello, and welcome back to His Simple Truth Podcast. My name is Greg Mullins. And I'm Tyson Thompson. Hello, everybody. Today's podcast is podcast number 30, and the title of this podcast is Agents Unto Themselves. Um, So we're going to start out in Doctrine and Covenants, section 58, verses 26 through 28 this morning, and this will kind of be the the basis for what we're going to discuss today. So just read that for you. It says, For behold, it is not meet that I should command in all things. For he that is compelled in all things, the same is slothful and not a wise servant. Wherefore, he receiveth no reward. Verily I say, men should be anxiously engaged in a good cause and do many things of their own free will and bring to pass much righteousness. For the power is in them, And they are agents unto themselves. And inasmuch as men do good, they shall in no wise lose their reward. Um, You know, a lot of what we're seeing take place in the church right now with what the prophet's really pushing, his agenda, I feel, if you can call it an agenda. is his mission, actually. His mission, yeah, is to teach us this principle of being agents unto ourselves for so long We've sat back and wait, waited for a bishop to tell us what to do or an elders corn president or whoever is our perceived leader. We sit back and we wait for them to tell us, you should go do this. And now we have a different prophet who's like, actually, all these layers that people have perceived culturally were between them and the Lord don't exist. And then he tells us stuff like, go to the Lord and be taught by him himself. Yeah. Right. The Lord loves to do his own teaching in the temple, like on and on of saying, get out of the mindset of having to have all these layers of leadership between you and the Lord. Right. Like follow the chain. Right. I mean, I got myself, then my elders quorum president. And then if if you don't include the bishop, that goes straight to the stake president, the stake president to an area 70, area 70 to Salt Lake, to some to whichever quorum our area falls under of the 70, then to the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, then to the First Presidency, then to the Prophet, and then I get to the Lord. That's a long process. (laughs) (laughs) And the Prophet we have now, which it's always been this way, but he's emphasizing it. He's like, why do you do that? Why don't you just go to the Lord himself and have him teach you? And And then start acting in compliance with what's already in you because genetically, in spiritual DNA, we're of the Lord. And eventually, our spiritual DNA will correct our physical DNA and, and we'll be perfected like Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother and the Savior. So we're acting in compliance with what's already coded inside of us. I think the reason why this has become such a huge push that we understand this right now is because of the fluidity of what's happening on the planet right now. The social norms, everything that's normal and regular that we've kind of lived with for our whole lives is now disappearing and changing so quickly people can hardly keep up with it. Um, Some places on this world, we're still in these little safe bubbles, but if you look around at the rest of the world and the chaos that's happening in all these different nations and different places, yeah. We don't have time to sit and wait for somebody to tell us how to react. As far as somebody in the physical world to reach out and say, you should do this or do that. And that's a perfect analogy that just popped in my mind is 
I'm picturing myself at ground combat school learning the tactics of combat. What Greg is saying, it would be like me calling Sergeant Rodriguez on the radio, wherever he is in the world, and being like, hey, what was it you said we're supposed to do, right? And I'm like yelling over the radio because in the background, right? Like he taught me, right? Sergeant Rodriguez taught me a series. He was a tabbed ranger. He taught me a series of principles, and then the biggest emphasis that he made to us all the time was, but I'm not going to be there with you in the field when the doo-doo hits the fan. None of these instructors are going to be there with you, but your training and understanding the principles of warfare will be there so that when contact from the enemy comes, you know how to react. And you just start reacting in a way that's situation dependent. <clears throat> and that's what Joseph Smith said. He said... You know, unless people learn to act for themselves, the fullness of of salvation and exaltation are not possible. Yeah. When you're not acting in accordance with the Spirit. So I just want to make it very clear as we go through this. Okay, this is how I see it, because I'm the visual have-to-see-it kind of guy. I'm going to go back to Star Wars and the Force. <laughs> okay, so we are in a telestial world. There is eternal law that governs everything, light side and dark side. Both sides of the force exist. We've been socially trained that light side is more powerful than the dark side, but that's a false tradition. There's always equal balance. So the Elohim has his kingdom where he dwells. No darkness can go there by eternal law. If it does, it gets destroyed. But the opposite of that is also true if light, Lucifer being a prime example, chooses to go seek out darkness, it will be consumed by that darkness as well. So the, it goes both ways. Light side chooses to go to the dark side, they're going to get sucked into the darkness. Dark side tries to go to the light side, they're going to get burned and destroyed. And both sides have to obey those eternal laws if they break them. Elohim has said, if I cease to obey eternal law, I cease to be God. Well, how does he know that? Unless at some point, a being of his glory chose that. Probably somebody like Satan. Just yeah. thought. And obviously you take that to the Lord and decide whether that's true or not. But Well, at a minimum, he had a, some kind of celestial glory because we know we were there with him and we were at that time celestial. So we saw it take place. Like He chose darkness. And could there be a darkness greater than Lucifer that he went seeking for information from? I will just say that my kids, when they were nine, on separate occasions, their twins, asked me that very same question. I don't have the ultimate answer to that, but he was at least spending too much time in the library under the dark arts section. (laughs) Just put it that way. That's right. If there is a darkness greater than him, I don't want to meet him. No. But it's really, really critical and important as we study agency that we understand that there literally is two sides to the equation and they're both equal, equal and opposite reactions. has to be or in order to maintain balance. Um, and so when we, we look at agency, one of the concerns that I have that I hear that comes up frequently in mentoring is, well, I don't know, I don't know where my boundaries are. Like, I don't want to step outside of my boundaries 
and when I ask, well, what are your boundaries? It always comes back to the telestial boundaries that the church has put placed upon them. And then we'll go through some of those boundaries and try and discern whether it's doctrine, which if it's doctrine, then it has to be obeyed because it's eternal law. That's from God, and we don't break it. If we break it, then we fall. Right. Or it could be a tradition of man that was placed upon them that has no doctrinal foundation. If that's the case, you can still obey that and be safe, but you're damned in your progression at that point. Or if the Lord's asking you to push past that, then there's a period of stretching and growth that will take place as you move forward in that. Right. I think it's important to to little commercial insertion here um, or a public service announcement to remember that Greg and I have a testimony that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is doing exactly what the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is intended to do. And I'll just boldly say that that is to deliver people to the Church of the Firstborn to prepare them with all things that are necessary in order to be birthed into the Church of the Firstborn, which we've talked about before, is what governs the millennium. And the Church of the Firstborn is literally Christ's church where he is the prophet. And we have prophets and apostles at that point. We have kings and queens, priests and priestesses that manage portions of the kingdom of the Church of the Firstborn, if you can call it that. But that's the purpose of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I stood, I sat six feet away from an apostle, Jeffrey R. Holland, who said, and I quote, brothers and sisters, in the next world, I'm not aware of stakes, branches, wards, or even twigs. He's making a joke about branches. <laughs> it's families. And that is the order of God. That's the order and the principle and the law that God is governed by and allows him and he governs by, if that makes sense. He's not a law unto himself, but he is the ultimate example of an agent unto himself acting in perfect harmony with divine law, which is the law of celestial marriage and families. Mother and father. I'll insert mother back into that because she's a very big part of that, which we don't probably talk about enough. Patriarchal order. Um, so we had an interesting conversation that came up in Sunday school talking about the Book of Mormon. And as we were discussing it, the scripture came into my mind. I can't remember where in DNC it is, but the one that talks about that the early saints were brought under condemnation because they had not, they had taken lightly the things of the Book of Mormon. They, they had given in to their unbelief is what it basically said. And as I thought about that, I was like, man, the early saints were the mo the closest to the Book of Mormon. Like that's what was bringing them into the church and helping them make I mean, they were making leaps and bounds changes into this tiny little church of five or six people, and they had to go completely on faith, and their faith was based upon what they were learning from the Book of Mormon. Yet somehow they were brought under condemnation because they had taken those things lightly. Super interesting when I was pondering that, but what came to my mind was, because we kept saying over and over in the Sunday school class that 
that it's important to have a testimony that the Book of Mormon's true, right? Because we're going to study it. Right. Well, there's a huge difference in just believing that that book is the Word of God to believing that the things that happened in that book can happen to us. <laughs> That's President Nelson just recently. Do you have that quote or I not? Don't. Oh, he said... He said, that's great that you have a testimony that the Book of Mormon's true, but it's not enough. Yeah. And that's like, whoa. And that, but that's, ever has it been. Like, the Jews knew there would be a Messiah. But when he was standing in front of them in the flesh, doing miracles, they didn't believe it. We talk about agency and look at some of the stories in the Book of Mormon. You know, look at Nephi. He was commanded to go back and get the plates. He was not told how to get those plates. He took a beating because he tried to do it the best way he knew how. He started out, he's like, okay, let's try with our gold. Or first they went in and asked, can we have them? I'm like, no. I'm like, okay, that didn't work. His agency at that point, he could have got home to his dad and said, hey, we tried. It didn't work. Yeah, shucky darns. I guess we keep going. But he knew that he had been commanded to get those plates. And if he'd been commanded to do it, then there was a way that it would have open up. So then they take all, all their resources, all of their gold and silver and the things of the world, and they take those in. And they get that gets stolen from them. <laughs> and they like, threaten to be killed. Yep. So they run. And then they're outside the gates, right? And then Laman and Lemuel are like, oh, let's take this out on Nephi and They Sam. panic because right. it's not working. Start beating them. And think about people in your lives right now who are panicking because things are going out of the norm. They're not working the way that we think that they're supposed to work. Greg, are you telling me right now that we're applying the story of Nephi trying to get the plates to our own lives as if... <clears throat> The scriptural phrase that comes to mind is likening the scriptures unto ourselves. Are you telling us to liken the story of Nephi to ourselves? Not just liken it, but claim the power of that. So here's Nephi with his family members who are, who are doubting him, doubting his father, who's the prophet, crushing him, about ready to smash him with a stick. Yeah. And Nephi is like, Lord, I'm trying to do what you told me to do, and I'm not giving up. Even though my brother's about to smash my head open with a with a stick, I'm not going to quit. And so the Lord intervenes and saves him. Sets an angel. But at that point, he didn't tell Nephi how to get the plates. Yeah. He still didn't know how to do it. He's like, wait, hold on. So we came all the way back to Jerusalem after leaving. We go in and get rejected. We go in and lose our family's fortune. I take a beating. You send an angel. I mean, come on, Lord, tip the playbook a little Just bit. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Like, I'm still going to do it. Exactly. I'm not quitting. Tip, tip the playbook a little. And then it's like probably radio silence a little bit. And so what does Nephi do? They, did they cast lots at that point? Yeah, they did. Mm -hmm. Who's going back? And Nephi's like, Ugh. No, the casting lots was the first time. Oh, okay. Yeah. The second time, Nephi's like, I'm, I'm going to go get this done. Oh, that's right. Yeah. All right. So he, he goes back this time. And now the Lord puts a really interesting scenario in front of him. We're talking about agency here. In its La fullness. Laban is now laying on the ground in front of him. And the Lord says, cut his head off. And Nephi's like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Hold on. Thou shalt not kill. You gave Moses these commandments a long time ago, which is the lesser law. But it says clearly, thou shalt not kill. 
and I don't want to do that. I've never taken anybody's life. And I don't want to. Don't I want don't want to have to. And the Lord gave him his agency. Like, he, but he, he taught him a correct principle yeah. first, right? He's like, well, it's better that your nation have my word in Scripture and that this man perish than your entire nation dwindle in unbelief because they don't have the word of God. Yep. In but that make a choice. In that moment, Nephi could have walked away and said, nope, I don't want to kill him. And I don't think the Lord would have condemned him for that. That was his choice. But here's the thing with the way agency works. The more light and knowledge that you have, the more you're asked to exercise and become an agent unto yourself. So Nephi has seen the vision of the tree of life at this point. He knows the things that are going to happen. He knows they need that scripture. And here's this situation where he now has to break the law of his church, of his God, to be able to fulfill God's purpose. And in making that choice, the door was opened for the Lord's work to happen in the way it was supposed to. But everything in that whole scenario was not the Lord saying, Nephi, go do this, then this, then this, then this, then this, then this. And here's some confirmation that this is true. And here's some confirmation that you're going to be okay if you cut Laban's head off before you do it. Everything was all up to Nephi to make a decision based upon his agency and the knowledge that he had. But Nephi had become absolutely entrenched in acting as an agent unto himself before he went into that whole scenario. Like he was absolutely convinced <clears throat> that he knew he needed to act in concert with what his mission was. I'm going to read this. Um, this was sent to me by a sister. Uh, it says, agency refers to both action and the accountability for those actions. People with greater intelligence, knowledge, and freedoms um, act, actions are more accountable and freedoms to act are more accountable in exercising their opportunities to act. Ideally, they should use their agency towards good, but in no case can they remain neutral or lukewarm because those that are not for the Lord are against them. So this goes both sides again, dark side and light side. The greater knowledge that you have gives you a greater agency to act because you understand more, but also a greater accountability for those actions. Um, and that goes both light side and dark side. So if, if you know something and you're not acting upon it, then you will be acted upon by the opposing force. And vice versa, if you know something and you act upon that, then the balance is kept stable and you're now the agent acting instead of the one being acted upon. Yep. Hopefully and, that made sense. <laughs> and no, it does. And then blessings come. And, and I've seen that <clears throat> as you step forward into the next thing, even if it counters tradition or whatever, into the next piece of your mission, um, trusting the Lord is going to bless you for doing that. He literally, I've seen him going before my face and I know he's on my right hand and my left and 
his angels are around about me to bear me up. And it's it's important to recognize that that eternal law principle is also part of this. So it's not just like a wheelie-neely, I know this and I'm going to go do what I want. There still is eternal law that has to be exercised. So we exercise our freedom to choose based upon the eternal laws that govern our existence. Without fixed, unchanging laws that reward our actions, we would be subject to a random, disorderly universe and its whimsical God. Through the law we know the consequences and can make better choices. So talk about lesser law versus higher law versus the highest law. If we choose, like the children of Israel did, to not accept a higher law, then we're given a lesser law, which lessens our agency, right? So in Moses' time, they could only walk so far on the Sabbath and eat this and not that and la, 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 la. All of those laws, those lesser laws were put into place to help them obey the higher laws. So they were obeying the higher law anyway. They were just being forced to do it through obedience to these lesser laws that were much more, much more of them to help them govern the higher laws. Then we were given the higher law, which Jesus taught when he came, the law of the gospel. And there were less of them than there were in the law of Moses. And the agency, the ability for those apostles during that day to act became greater. The Lord gave them authority over unclean spirits and all the the powers that he gave them to be able to act as agents. This is all supported really well in the scripture in Galatians 5.1. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So that's... I think it's Paul that wrote Galatians. Um, is he's saying, don't don't subject yourself again to micro laws when you've been given the bigger law by Christ that set us free to act as agents unto ourselves and not be acted upon. And that law that he gave at that point in the Sermon on the Mount is now being extended to an even higher law, right? Where we listen directly to the spirit of the Lord and we act upon what we're told to act upon. Eventually, if the doctrine of our church is correct, we will become a Christ, like Christ, one with Christ. Many scriptures talk about becoming one with him and once we become one with him, we become one with the Father. Well, again, take the unbelief out of that and believe it literally. Becoming one with Christ means connecting directly to the source or the force or the eternal power to where our minds are literally one with Christ. We'll do exactly what he wants us to do and not even what he wants to do anymore, but what he would do because our minds are one with him. And at that point, the father can then trust us at a at a higher level and give us a fullness of everything that he has. And there's scriptures that talk about that where it says that you'll receive whatever you ask for because God knows you're not going to ask amiss or, you know, in, in a way that is an infraction of, of his law. You're only going to ask for those things which are um, in compliance with eternal truth and eternal law. Here's the, the whole purpose of us coming to this earth and it talks about it in the temple, is that we may know the good from the evil, 
right? That's the purpose of this existence. In 2 Nephi 2, verse 26, it says, And the Messiah cometh in the fullness of time, that he may redeem the children of men from the fall. And because that they are redeemed from the fall, they have become free forever, knowing good from evil, to act for themselves and not to be acted upon. That is the key to act for themselves and not be acted upon. You don't get that type of knowledge to be able to be a free agent, so to speak, until you've experienced evil and you've learned what's good and what's bad and what side you're on. And you've made a choice of a real choice, not a lukewarm choice. And I love how the Lord always provides an escape, just like with Nephi. When you're acting in compliance, even if you haven't completely cognitively or consciously thought through every step of that process, but you're acting in compliance with the fullness of agency, you're acting as an agent to yourself. I love the story, and it just came to my mind, of Moses. Like, apparently he didn't study geography very well, or maybe he did, I don't know. But he leads his people on their exit, <clears throat> on their exfil of, of Egypt, right to the edge of the Red Sea, to a trap. And I don't remember exactly. I'll have to go back and scripturally review it, I'm being honest. I don't remember what the interaction was there with the Lord, but it didn't take Moses very long to go, hey, the Lord could have told me, hey, take a right back there, right? Turn right on 2-1 and Lewis or wherever, you know? But he goes right down to the edge of the water and acts as an agent unto himself, steps into the water, takes his staff, plunges it down into the water, and the Red Sea parts, and they, they go through on dry ground. He, and that, I think, to me, strikes me with a lot of people who we talk to and mentor with. They're like, oh, I know what my mission is, right? But I'm afraid. I, I haven't seen every step laid out, so I... How do I proceed with this? I need the Lord to show me every step. And that's not how he works. He wants to see that we're going to step off. And if we do, even if we make a mistake, I'm just going to say, I don't think that Moses was very well versed in the local geography. Or, or maybe he was. But either way, he went to a place where there was, and maybe Moses was aware, but he wanted the people to realize, hey, I'm going to lead you into this trap. You've never been out of... Egypt before. They'd never been out of the big city. And they'd probably never been that far because they were all slaves. I'm going to lead you to the edge of, <clears throat> to the point of no return. And right before it looks like we're going to be doomed to destruction, I'm going to show you how God's power works. I don't know. Either way, an escape was provided for a group of people who were following what they were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And, and our prophet today I've likened President Nelson a few times to to Moses because he's leading us out of the slavery and bondage of tradition and culture and into the fullness of the gospel and and towards the fullness of the restoration, which is what's coming. And he says this, I urgently plead with each one of us to live up to our privileges as bearers of the priesthood. In a coming day, only those men who have taken, and I would say women, who have taken their priesthood seriously by diligently seeking to be taught by the Lord himself will be able to bless, guide, protect, strengthen, and heal others. 
only a man or woman who has paid the price for priesthood power will be able to bring miracles to those he or she loves and keep his marriage and family safe now and throughout eternity. Like bring miracles is what that says. Only those who've paid the price for priesthood power will be able to bring miracles just like Moses. And that price is that ability to receive it directly from the Lord. The Book of Mormon talks about mysteries all through it. Many of the prophets say, oh, the Lord stopped with my utterance right here. Those are the things that, that are available if you want them. Mm-hmm. So with agency, agency is always about your choice, what you want. Yep. And the Lord obeys, a, honors agency 100%. Yeah. He will never... Never go against what Brother you Brother of Jared, how am I going to light these barges, Lord? And the Lord's like, I don't know. How are you going to light them? He's like, oh. So he thinks about it for a while. I don't know how he stumbled on these stones, but he finds them. He's like, there's enough of these that if I take them to the Lord and ask him to illuminate them with his power, that we'll be able to use them like lights inside of the, of the barges. Mm-hmm. And then he sees the finger of the Lord. But he was, the Lord... <clears throat> The Lord didn't give him the answer. Right. He he had him go look for it, and it there could the stones are incidental. Like we look at that and we're like, oh, because he knew that he was going to find these stones, it wouldn't have mattered. Mm-hmm. He could have come back with, I don't know, petrified fish poop. I don't know, like whatever, right? And even if a lot of people say, well, maybe that's what Noah used in his boat, so he had that information. Even if that's true. He's still holding a stone that's not glowing. <laughs> yeah. That he's asking the Lord to illuminate. Yep. Right? Based upon his agency, he's acting. How easy would it have been to sit down and be like, I don't know how to freaking light the boat. You're God. <laughs> like, I'm going to wait here until you tell me how to light that boat, and then we can get on the way. Yeah. And I guarantee you that, brothers and sisters, that if that was the case, there'd be a skeleton sitting right where the <laughs> brother of Jared was. <laughs> Right. It's like, oh, we found him. Yep. He never made it away from where he was living because he stalled out waiting for the Lord to give him a solution to something that he clearly had within himself by just going and using his agency, his faculties, his experience, his whatever he could his draw faith. on, his faith, yep. yeah, to, to come up with a solution and then present it to the Lord and be like, here you go. The reality is if he had not been willing to act as an agent he would have given his agency to the dark side and he would have been acted upon becoming a skeleton like Tyson just talked about. So you're either using your agency to act for yourself or you're giving your agency to the adversary and you're being acted upon. Yep. I want you to really think about that for a minute. Are you using your agency to move forward and do what God's asking you to do, what you're feeling in your heart and your mind? Or are you sitting back waiting for somebody to tell you what to do or tell you it's okay to do what you know you're supposed to do? And in so doing, you're giving your agency to the adversary, which causes within you fear, doubt, confusion, frustration. If you're feeling any of those emotions, you're giving your agency to the to the adversary, to his side. That's awesome. So how do you reclaim your agency? This is from Randall Ridd. Um, I think he's one of the 70. How do you reclaim your agency? 
Choose to accept you are a child of God. Choose to put everything on the altar. Choose to put yourself in a position to have experiences with the Spirit of God through prayer, scripture study, at church or at home. Choose to obey your covenants, baptismal and temple. Choose to believe in the atonement of Jesus Christ. Agency is your power to become. Each choice takes you closer to or further from what you are meant to become. In order to claim your agency, you have to be willing to see yourself as God sees you. Well, what does that look like? Listen to the prophet. You were foreordained to be on the earth right now to gather Israel based upon your greatness. You are a child and elect son or daughter of God. You're here for a reason. Choose to accept that. If you keep rejecting that, you're giving your agency to the adversary and he's telling you that you're not worthy. There is no power within you. You don't hear the voice of the Lord like Tyson and Greg do, so somehow you're lesser. Right, or I, I'm not the best scriptorian or it gets sucked into the culturalism of what people prescribe as a as a faithful saint looks like. You know, I don't go to the temple every week like I feel like I should. Whatever thing it is that Satan's throwing in front of you to make you feel unworthy, <clears throat> rather than in this moment believing that today you have enough and you are enough to act in accordance with what you have to take a step. It doesn't matter if it's a baby step. Like it's a shuffle forward, whatever it is, taking a step. If you're having a negative emotion towards anything that's adversarial, you're giving your agency away. Now it may be true. Maybe the Lord has told you that you need to be in the Book of Mormon more. That's where you're supposed to be. And you're choosing not to do it. And so you're giving your agency to the adversary and he's kicking your butt. So maybe that one step for you is to just change that from a negative emotion to a positive emotion and, and get in the scriptures like you're being asked to do. And from there, you'll gain more light, more knowledge, which will take you to the next level of agency, which will allow you to act in a greater capacity than maybe you can right now. And or maybe every day you're provided opportunities to act. But because it doesn't feel comfortable... You know, maybe you're you're told. I can feel it. Like you're told to say something or do something with a complete stranger at the grocery store, and you don't act in accordance with that. You're stopping yourself because you don't believe in yourself, and you're more afraid of the judgment of that person or what they might think or people around them might think or whatever than you are of. Well, you're more afraid of moving forward, is what it is. Like you're afraid of the light that's in you, like Marianne Williamson says. <laughs> And you're giving in to the darkness. That's our light that we're most afraid of. Because this world's programmed us to be afraid of our own light. And the reason why we're afraid of light is because it requires action. In order to obtain light, you have to act for yourself. You have to be an agent not being acted upon. Acted upon, darkness. Acting, light. So the reason why we're afraid of our own light is because it requires us to act to be an agent, to step out and do something that isn't comfortable. Yeah, like being in a room where somebody walks out and turns the light switch off. There's a lot of obstacles between you and turning the light switch on. 
Are you going to sit there in the dark exponentially? or Wait you, for somebody to turn the light on. <laughs> right. Or are you going to get up yourself, kind of remember in your mind where things are, put your hands down in front of you a little bit, and stumble your way, probably hit your shin on the coffee table, whatever, but you're going to get to that light switch, turn the light back on so you can enjoy being in the light. Are you just going to sit there and go, you know, the person that left, that turned it off, left the building. There's no one in the building. It's just you. And the Lord's like, the solution's in front of you. Just get up. Turn on the light. Even if you have to crawl. <laughs> Whatever, right? Slither. Yeah. Yep. That ability to be willing to step out into darkness, that is, that is the definition of faith, Right? things that we can't see we're willing to act and move forward based upon the knowledge that we have and trust that the Lord knows what's happening so I hear a lot of times people will say I haven't received a confirmation from the Lord that that's what I'm supposed to do yet and then I'll pause them and I'll say well how do you feel about it and they'll say well I feel good about it I feel like that's something that I could do but I'm waiting for the Lord to tell me, yes, go. That's not how it works. <laughs> That's not how agency works. You get to choose whether... Now, I'm not saying that the Lord doesn't give us confirmations and won't give us confirmations, but the further you progress and move down the road, the less those confirmations are going to come, and here's why. If you want to become one with the Lord, like the Lord, you're going to have to learn how to act as he would act, to be an agent, to do many good things of your own free will. That's scriptural, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be willing to take that thought, that um, what you're feeling in your heart that is a good thing that you that you feel is good and act upon it and then look at the fruit that it bears. If you sit around and wait your whole life to be told what to do, you're going to be acted upon on a regular basis. And that could be persecution. That could be adversarial attacks. That could be depression, anxiety, fear, all of those things that we experience are typically because we are choosing to believe darkness rather than light. And I know that sounds harsh, and I'm not saying that people who suffer with anxiety or depression and those things are bad people in any way, shape, or form. But there is probably something, and I'm also not saying that mental illness is not a real thing. I just want to get that out there. He wouldn't say that with me sitting across from him. <laughs> Been there. <laughs> Starting the movie. And so is Greg. When you feel dark emotions, there's something there that is taking you in that direction. And there is always an equal and opposite to that. So whatever the dark feeling is, the dark emotion, the only way to replace that, you can put a Band-Aid on it with medication or or drugs, or alcohol, or anything else. But the only way to really move past that is to replace it with its opposite, with the light. And we've talked about that in other podcasts. But just really understanding this eternal law that there is always equal and opposite, and you get to choose which one you want. 
Yeah. I'm going to throw a maybe out there really quick, too, because this is something that I've been taught. Maybe the reason that you've been inclined to depression, anxiety, uh, and those things is because you know, because your spirit, your perfect self, knows what charity feels like. And I don't know if you've looked around lately, but this world is not offering a lot of charity. And so you're, you haven't been able to love with the level of intensity that you're capable of. And you also haven't been loved by other people in this world in that way. And because that fullness so far in your life has escaped you, that can, to me, that's what's resulted. That's what, that's what not resulted, but that was, those are causations or big contributing factors in my life to my, and traumas and other things, but to my depression, anxiety, and feeling stuck because I wasn't, I didn't know how to operate with closer, with a closer, at a closer level to the fullness of who I am, which is a charitable being. I'm not perfectly charitable like Christ, but I'm certainly my spirit self that came here, uh, according to my personal revelation, as well as my patriarchal blessing was capable of loving at a higher intensity than this world is capable of putting out on its own because it's celestial in nature and our spirits are celestial. We came from a place of perfect charity. And here's the thing. I have this theory that everyone here on the earth is suffering from separation anxiety at a minimum because we've been separated from mother and father and the savior, but also trauma. Um, And even, even post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Because our spirits that are eternal are stuffed into a telestial body in a telestial world. And we're, it's foreign. It's not in compliance with who we are. It's dark compared to where we've been. Yeah. So I would just throw that out there as a, as another scenario that maybe you haven't considered before that, that this world in by and large is not capable of receiving the love that you could offer and that and beings of this world, but there are people that the Lord's given you a stewardship over that are capable of receiving varying degrees of that love, and some of them are capable of receiving the fullness of what you have to offer through Christ. And I, in my opinion, that's where we get to the place where hearts knit become knit together. You find your true and actual battle buddies that would go to the ends of earth the ends of the earth or to hell before you or with you in order for you to accomplish your mission. And that awakens something in you that is, you can't, it can't be extinguished unless we extinguish it by giving back into fear and self-loathing and all the things of this world. It's drawing on the fullness of Christ. Speaking of Christ, prophet is trying with everything he can to connect us to the savior that's what's happening right like remember all the layers i went off on before he's trying to say all these people are have a role and a function within the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints but it was never intended for them to stand between you and god in the pre-mortal council before we came 
we chose Christ. And not only did we choose him, we believed him. We believed when he said, I'll come down and I'll fulfill my atonement and I will fulfill the demands of justice so that you can return. I took some faith on our part to believe that he would do that for us. I testify to you that the exact same thing is happening right now. You're being asked again to choose the Savior and to trust him and believe him when he says he has power to heal you. Believe him when he tells you he has power to help you get the plates or whatever it is your mission is that's being accomplished. Believe him when he tells you, I want you to act for yourself. And when you do, the blessings you need to help you get to the next step in your mission will come. But you got to act first. He, he's our exemplar, right? He showed us how to do it. So let's look at his life. In all of the miracles that he did, when he went to heal the blind men, blind man, did he say, Father, should I heal this blind man? No. <laughs> Even involve the agency of the blind man himself. Yep. When it was finished, when the miracle was finished, he then took the glory of that moment and gave it to his father. But his agency to act was not, should I do this, father, and then I'll give my, the glory to you. He knew that that blind man needed to be healed, and he knew that he had the power to do it, and he knew that it would touch countless lives throughout eons as we read that story over and over again. And father was not in his ear with some eternal, you know, headset microphone and going, okay, make spittle of clay, put spittle of clay on eyes, right? Like it was Christ acting in the fullness of his own agency as an agent unto himself, as a celestial being condescended into a celestial world to do his mission. That's right. In his own way. Yep. Heavenly Father, when the Heavenly Father was a savior, maybe he healed blind men the same way, but maybe he didn't. Maybe he did it differently. He did it his own way. That's right. Take another example from the Savior's life when he goes to the temple and he sees all the money changers. I don't believe Elohim said, Jehovah, those money changers are mucking my temple up and I want you to kick them out. I guarantee you some righteous indignation welled up inside of him. And he's like, I need to get these people out of here. And then he made sure that there wasn't any evil or darkness in what he was doing in his righteous indignation. And he took time to craft a whip. And this is a sustained and thought out process, sustained and thought out act of violence, I guess you could say, against people that were mucking up the temple. And he did that act based upon his own agency, right? The glory was to glorify his father and cleanse the temple, but Christ acted in his own agency. And we can go on and on through every single miracle that he produced. I just started watching The Chosen. If you haven't seen that yet, it's freaking awesome. It's yeah. on VidAngel. And the scene where I love the way they portray Peter. When I first started watching it, I was like, man, I don't think Peter was quite that rough. But the more I watch it, I'm like, that's Peter for sure. <laughs> Well, he didn't become this passionate, right, impetuous Peter that we knew throughout the scriptures without being that way before, yeah. just like us, right? The Lord draws on on who we were before and then takes those things that maybe got us in trouble before, like my, my uh, 
decision making quickly or whatever. The Lord's taught me how to temper that in order for that to be a a tool in his belt to do his work. Right. So Peter, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's portrayed sort of as, uh, as reckless and wild and, and, you know, to be honest, like that Peter was that way, probably a little bit. (laughs) They portray the scene where the savior comes to collect him to be a fisher of men at the seashore. And it just shows the interaction between the savior and Peter and Peter's just like not having it, (laughs) that this is the Messiah, right? Until he'd been out all night, didn't catch any fish. They portray it in the movie as as a really critical moment, whether it was or not, it doesn't matter. But um, just the way it shows the savior laughing at Peter as Peter's trying to pull all of these fish into the boat, <laughs> like the Lord could have just told Peter who he was, right? He had the power to reveal himself of who he was to Peter. But using his own agency, his own way of doing it, he has so many fish coming into the boat that the boat's sinking, and he sits and laughs at Peter as Peter's looking at him back in unbelief, like, what is happening right now? (laughs) (laughs) And I just love that portrayal that the Savior, the, the Heavenly Father didn't say to Christ, Tell Peter to throw his net on the other side and then fill it full of so many fish that you almost sink his boat. Yeah. Like, this is not like Mission Impossible, somebody in a control, you know, situation telling you every step to take. Here we yeah. go. Do this right foot forward. This is Christ acting for himself. Throughout his life, our Savior showed us how to use our agency. As a boy in Jerusalem, he deliberately chose to be about his father's business. In his ministry, he obediently chose to do the will of the Father. In Gethsemane, he chose to suffer all things, saying, Not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. On the cross, he chose to love his enemies, praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do. And then, so that he could finally demonstrate that he was choosing for himself, he was left alone. Father, why hast thou forsaken me? He asked at last, he exercised his agency to act, enduring to the end until he could say it is finished. Though he was in all points tempted like we are, with every choice and every action, he exercised the agency to be our savior, to break the chains of sin and death for us. And by his perfect light, he taught us that when we choose to do the will of our heavenly father, our agency is preserved our opportunities increased and we progress. So again, super important to understand that Christ acted as an agent unto himself, but he did not break eternal law of his father. He glorified his father always. His actions were in tune with what his father would have done because he had connected himself to the source that his father was connected to. And he understood the difference between good and evil, right and wrong what he should be doing, what he should not be doing. And yet he was comfortable in being in a space where he made other people uncomfortable. Um, there, I love this quote says, sometimes the things that will be healing for you will be disruptive to others. Sometimes setting healthy boundaries for yourself will be interpreted as betrayal to others. And sometimes the decisions you will make for your life and your mission that you understand will be misunderstood by others. 
work on getting comfortable in that space. If you want to be an agent unto yourself at a certain point, you're going to be asked, do I care about my mission and serving Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, and Heavenly Mother more than I care about helping other people to feel safe and secure around me? Or am I going to choose to ascend and and meet my mission head on, even if that makes other people a little bit uncomfortable? I have to... I have to really think to myself, Nephi standing there with Laban's sword. <laughs> like, go there in that moment. Like, create the moment, Greg, and like, really just take people there for a minute. And what you would be feeling, like, express that. Yeah. So as I as I picture that, here's righteous Nephi, who just saw an angel of the Lord, who knows what he's supposed to be doing. And Laban's position was great within that that people, yeah, he right? Commanded 50, he could slay 50. Here he is laying on the ground, and now Nephi, I just picture in my mind, he's feeling the spirit because he just saw the angel, and he's pumped. So he's going to get it done. And then all of a sudden, this impossible task is put in front of him. In his mind, impossible. He didn't want to do it, right? Did the spirit leave in that moment as he thought, I'm not doing that, Lord, Right? Did he have to pause and really reconnect to the spirit and and have the Lord give him some some support and strength that that's what he was supposed to be doing? Probably. And then he, he's holding the sword, and now he's really got to do it. He's crossed the bridge that he will do it now. Right, and the, the Lord's told him the why yep. of him doing it because he asked. Like, yep. Why? So now he's holding the sword. Now it's time to do it. I can't imagine the emotions that went through his mind in that moment in knowing what he was about to do. And when that head came off of a person and he's now sitting there looking at what he'd just done, I wonder what that felt like. So I have a buddy, I didn't even plan on sharing this, um, a friend. Um, and he immaturely, when I first started training with him, uh, a kid that I know asked him what his confirmed kill count was. And he never answered. Like, he just kind of shook his head and walked off. And then I had a sacred opportunity with with this brother of mine sitting in a quiet moment where he just threw that number at me. It was well over 200 um, because he was a CCT and he dropped a lot of bombs on people, but he also had killed some guys in close quarter combat, like, like kicking indoors. And he tells me that, right? And I'm just sitting there stunned, feeling like compassion and also like all the oxygen's been sucked out of my lungs. Like this guy is responsible for having taken the lives of 200 plus people. And I go, wow, man, like I don't even know what that feels like. And you know what he said to me? I hope you never do. like a hardened warrior battle hardened warrior who still had a tender place in his heart understanding the sanctity of human life and Nephi is standing there just having lopped somebody's head off you have a mission that you've been called to do a lot of people tell me, I don't know what my mission is. And throughout the course of mentoring, we find out that they know exactly what their mission was. What they don't know is how to get past the impossible task 
their Laban yeah. that's in front of them. Understand that you're not going to get the exacts of how to do that. You're not going to understand how to get the plates. You're going to be asked to go get the plates. And then there's going to be things that happen all along the way. They're going to test you to see if you're really ready to be that agent. And getting stuck in the fear of making a mistake. Sends you into the place Laban and Lemuel went. Right. Sends you into the place of darkness. Where this this isn't going to work. Right. Our brother's an idiot. You think about it. In warfare, it gets you dead. You start, you kick a door open and all of a sudden bad dudes are standing up and starting to shoot at you and you freeze up like, well, I don't know if I should kill this guy. You're going to get dead. Yeah. Or your buddies are going to get dead. Yep. I just want to testify to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that this is the time to act. This is the period in history where your agency is most critical, not for your own life, just your own life, but for all of the house of Israel. We have been called to stand up, to rise up and gather Israel at all costs. It is the most important mission. It's been repeated over and over and over again. You're going to have things put in front of you that you're going to, you're going to have to act on faith. They're going to go against the grain. There's going to be things that you don't understand why you're being asked to do it. And you're going to have to be like Nephi and say, I will go and do what I've been commanded to do. And I know the Lord's going to prepare that way for me to make it happen. Because you're not, he's not going to let you see the beginning of the end from here out. This is a period of time where we're being asked to be agents, to act for ourselves and trust that the Lord's going to help us to get it done. Yep. I love this, this verse, two verses, um, some doctrine and covenants. Now as touching the law of the priesthood, there are many things pertaining thereunto. Verily, if a man be called of my father, as was Aaron, by mine own voice and by the voice of him that sent me, and I have endowed him with the keys, the keys of the power of this priesthood, if he do anything in my name according to my law and by my word, he will not commit sin, and I will justify him. The Lord says over and over in scriptures that he's going to bless those <clears throat> who are acting in the best light and knowledge that they have in conjunction with his spirit and with his will. And fear has to be out. This is the year 2020, the year of perfect vision. Like we can't have perfect vision like God does at the 60,000 foot level, but you can have perfect vision in the sphere that you're in. In this room I'm sitting in, I can see all the elements of what's in this room. However far your vision can go, there's things you can do within that stewardship in order to propel you forward towards the, to, towards the bigger mission, towards a higher view of what it is you're accomplishing for the Lord. And don't misconstrue that with, I got to start doing all the stuff I'm not doing. <laughs> Right. I need to read my scriptures more. I need to do that, blah, 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 and put 50 things on your list and then be so frazzled that you don't do any of them. Go to the Lord and ask him what the next thing is. What should I be working on right now? And or 
if you're past that point, if the Lord's gone silent on you, Greg and I have talked about this before. Well, guess what? It's probably because you've already know. Maybe he didn't even tell you, but you received through personal revelation, which is him. But it's more you getting things for you from from probably from your spirit's scroll. So it, it's coming from the Lord, but he wants you to be the agent to act for yourself. So it's right. not him coming down and saying, Tyson, do this, do this now. Right. You're like, you have this feeling about your mind. Like, hmm, I really feel like I should do that. Right. Yep. And then do it. Because we can't sit and wait. If the fruit is good of what you're going to do, then do it. And if you don't know if the fruit's good, walk through it in your mind. And if it feels like it's going to be good, then do it. And if it's not going to be good, but you're acting in the name of the Lord as an agent for him with his name upon you, meaning his spirit is upon you, he will tell you to stop before you go too far. You'll yank the, the reins multiple times. Yep. So you have to be willing to step out and act, though, before he'll pull the reins. Otherwise, you sit in a place where your agency is taken from you and you begin to be acted upon. Critical that we understand that and we are willing to step up and act to be agents. Brothers and sisters, we love you. So grateful for the opportunity to be a part of his Simple Truths podcast. We're so grateful to get to be agents for the Lord. We've stepped out into darkness a lot over the last couple of years. And I can testify to you that every single time the Lord's hand was there and, and that he led and guide us. The way is illuminated. Yeah. His hand reaches out as we step and goes, here's the next here's piece. Here's the next piece. And light comes and, and we move forward. And there's been times where he's stopped us as well. So just know that that's how it works. That's a reality. He will always be there to lead and guide you if you're acting in his name. If you're acting as an agent for the Lord, he'll govern it. That piece of him going before our face just came to me. So if you're, if you're on a mission and somebody's running point, they're going to tell you what the pitfalls are in front of you and come back to you and be like, hey, don't, don't go that way. Mm-hmm. There's a cliff right there. Don't yep. go that way. There's you know, a crevasse or go, don't go that way. There's some kind of obstacle. Yep. Super grateful for all of you who have offered your support to us spiritually, financially. And we can't do without you. Super grateful. If, if you have donated and I have missed the opportunity to thank you for that, we just get hammered with so much information and emails and people to answer and talk to and the mentoring appointments and being dads and husbands and all of the things that come, I know that there's times where I've missed some of you who have donated. Just know that we are super grateful for everything that, that you do to support us. We see it. We recognize who you are. We pray for you that the Lord will compensate you accordingly. Um, I can just, tell you too, like if it's something you've been contemplating, but don't know, uh, we have, had so many people after they've donated, you know, even if it's effort, some we've had people come to us and say, Hey, we want to help somehow. And we've been able to give them something that actually just happened this week. So remind me after we're done to, <laughs> to talk to you about it, uh, that they've been blessed when they've, when they've stepped forward with, 
what they felt like they needed to do in accordance with their mission and blessed our lives and somehow they will they will all testify to you that they have received tenfold in some degree blessings or otherwise what they've given and that it was a small sacrifice and we want you to know that we are grateful and those again those those blessings are sacred to us it's absolutely a sanctifying process to be a part of to to live um in the place of complete trust in the lord and in our brothers and sisters to help take care of us yeah amen and then just a real quick shout out for the mentoring program again for those of you who are listening to this podcast today and you're like i I just don't know how to do it. Like I need somebody to point me in a direction. Um, and you feel prompted to reach out to us for help in a mentoring program. I can promise you right now that we're not going to tell you exactly what you're supposed to do. No. But we will get you connected to the Lord in such a way that he can direct you in what you're supposed to be doing. That's the whole goal and focus of the mentoring program is to help you connect to the Lord and have him help you understand, give you the faith that you need to be able to do what you're, you're called to do. Yep. All right. Enough said. The gospel's true. We love you. God, <laughs> God be with you until we meet again. <laughs> Hoorah for Israel.